Welcome back to Queer and Art Podcast. I'm your host, Frankie Kraft. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Uh, it's with my new friend and someone I really look up to, writer, director, editor, a bunch of other things, Justin Kelly. He's made movies such as I Am Michael, King Cobra, Welcome the Stranger, and the upcoming film JT Leroy. We'll be talking all about it. Before the episode, wanted to thank everyone who has been subscribing and rating and reviewing the podcast. Really appreciate it. I'm really looking forward as well to the future of this podcast. So all of that is really helpful. Without further ado, here is Justin Kelly. director, filmmaker, editor, right? Um, am I missing something? Uh, no, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Justin All Kelly. nice person. <laughs> uh, amazing guy, sweetie patootie. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited to be sitting here talking with you. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Of course. Um, before I start, I'm just going to um, say this. I uh, A couple months ago, I went to lunch with my cousin, uh, who works in the film industry, and she? I was talking to her about all the stuff I wanted to do and where I thought I was going. I applied to film school and stuff, and she was like, well, who do you, who do you look up to? Who are the people that you see that you want to either talk to or meet or be like? And I was like, and I named five people, and you were one of them. And, <laughs> and now uh, this is our second time meeting, and it's just like, it's really special to me that, you know, it's just a testament to putting stuff out into the universe and it happening and things being created and relationships being made. I love that. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so flattered. <laughs> cool. So I thought, you know, I'd say that first. So as you flip your hair back. As I flip my hair back, yes, I know. It's not, we're not a visual podcast. Um, so I want to, of course, talk to you about all your films and the work you've done. But I'm also kind of, I was thinking this morning about, uh, I, we talked a little bit about where you're from, but I kind of want to get into your personal story of how you got to where you are and the artist you are and the out person you are. Um, so let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from the Santa Clarita Valley. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Where is that? <clears throat> um, it's really close. It's, uh, it's only 30, 40 minutes north of L.A. It's still L.A. County, but the kind of more, most uh, northern tip. Um, it's where Magic Mountain is in CalArts. It's where uh, Tim Burton went to college at mm-hmm. CalArts. Like, there's an opening scene from Edward Scissorhands where, you know, all the houses look the same and all the cars pull out at the exact same time. That's from him, like, having gone to college in Santa Clarita. Oh, my God. Um, and there's a kind of nicer side, Valencia, and then uh, I'm proud to be from the other side of the tracks in Canyon Country, a little more, like, rugged trailer park vibes. <laughs> and and you, so you grew up there until, like, you went to school or something? Yeah. Okay. 
And so what was that like? Were you, I, I've been asking people who I've been talking to about the moments that they first realized that they were gay but or queer and also w when that really influenced their passions and their art. Oh yeah. Oh, good like, question. Was there like a moment that you remember? Like for example, uh, I saw Titanic and I was like, okay, this is moving me in a queer direction that I, I'm in love with this person. You know, those kinds of uh, moments. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, why don't early, early realizations of being gay, it's always so hard because I feel like there's always these flashes of weird memories of being like, you know, super young and seeing some commercial with like a guy with his shirt off and being like, that makes me feel funny, why? Right, like the <laughs> big penny ads, you know. <laughs> can never fully remember those. Um, but, uh, but I don't know, I feel like it must have been... Um, early high school, probably just the kind of friends that I made. Like a few of my best friends from high school are still my best friends now, which, mm. which is really, really sweet. Um, and uh, I mean, all women. <laughs> I mean, like I'm like super jealous of that. You know, like I feel like I'm not friends with anyone from high school. So it's cool. really sweet. Yeah, quite a few. It's really funny. And I feel like it, you know, I just, in terms of kind of finding things that are queer and then realizing that's kind of the direction I wanted to go in, uh, I, I, it's weird. There isn't really one thing. I would say it was really just like realizing that I was into things that were different. Like when I had friends going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show at the mm. New Art in Santa Monica, like latched on and went every Saturday night for like six months. I've done that. Did up. you go to the Hedwig one? No. Oh my oh, God. No. There were, or maybe that was like, I don't remember, but I used to go to the Hedwig one too all the time. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry. Keep going. Oh, it's all good. Uh, yes, yeah, so we used to go to, to Rocky Horror a lot, and then um, my best friend Brandy, I remember she was obsessed with drag queens from when she was like in junior high school, mm. <laughs> it was very funny. Ahead of and, her time. <laughs> exactly. Kind of. And uh, since this would have been like uh, uh, mid-90s, I remember she showed me Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and it was mm. like, oh, why am I drawn to that and Rocky Horror? Uh, you know, then a couple years later, getting into like early Gus Van Sant and Todd Haynes and Todd Salon's films, and just and velvet goldmine and mm -hmm. happiness and um yeah being into things that are queer or if they're not queer like you know because happiness isn't you know true technically a gay movie or whatever uh but just feeling like really interested in this world uh that i guess could be you know either queer or like characters on the fringes of society yeah. pretty much yeah like, or, like <laughs> we're just drawn to that for some reason <laughs> um i wonder why um okay yeah, yeah. i wish i had one thing of like oh that one movie but I, it was, I feel like it was so many things at once. I mean, you know, I, I guess if I had to pick one, it, it might even be a Rocky Horror Picture Show, which um, I, I never thought of until right now. Love it. Cool. <laughs> so, that yeah. could be it. No, I'm just fascinated because it's, uh, well, film is still, like, young, right? So, and, and the, we're l still learning today about the struggles of uh, LGBT rights, human rights in this country, and how, you know film and how all of that intersects and we learn from each other and blah, 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 blah. So I'm just, I'm, I'm as someone who is out there making stuff and has made, um, queer themed films, uh, I, I wonder where that all kind of started to boil up for you. Yeah. I think it's just a, I feel like if you're whatever kind of, uh, whatever art you make, it's, you know, of course tends to be personal or inspired by things going on <clears throat> either in your life or things that you're interested in. So, you know, when I started writing, uh, like the, the short films that I did, the kind of first one that became a thesis film, of course, it dealt with what I feel like every young queer filmmaker starts with, which is, you know, some sort of like love story. But, uh, you know, so my, my film was called Front, uh, and it's about two 
two uh, really young boys. They were like uh, 12. Uh, so kind of, you know, less of a, of, a, of a sexual queer story and more so kind of like this idea of being young and queer and feeling different and then kind of really at the very early stages of realizing that and having a crush on another another boy but not fully realizing that it, it, it is a crush. Yeah. You know, so in my short, it was sort of like the kind of long-haired, more queer kid, uh, just very obsessed with the kind of more straight-laced skateboarder dude mm -hmm. and, you know, not realizing that that, that there's something more there that you know he won't realize until he's five years older. Right. Uh, and, and it's funny, and that played at queer festivals, and even um, occasionally an audience member would ask, like, oh, like, why is this at a gay film festival? It's like, well, I mean, it's pretty obviously a gay story, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. like, uh, just because no one had sex right. doesn't mean it's not a gay story. It was very funny. Um, it must have been a straight person, because uh, I think anyone, you know, gay would watch that and immediately understand. We've all been there when we're, you know, junior high and realizing that you're gay. And then, uh, you know, it's a very common thing. You have, much like straight people, you have crushes on the people who are around you at school. And, right. you know, most of them are going to be straight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did you... Unrequited love, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people can connect, connect with that, even if you're straight, too. Um, so when did you re when did your filmmaking writing passion for making stuff happen? I guess that it would have started off. Um, I feel like it started off from a desire to be a storyteller. Mm -hmm. I was a like, very avid reader in junior high. I read like every single Roald Dahl book, tons of R.L. Stein. Uh, I feel like a lot of trashy YA thrillers. I don't oh. know. It's really funny because like okay. I'm not into that stuff anymore. <laughs> Interesting. Um, very obsessed with with all things Roald Dahl for sure. Mm. And so I, and I would write a lot. So I thought initially maybe I would be a writer. Mm -hmm. And but at the same time I had an interest in being an artist. Uh, like my dad's side of my family is a bit more business accounting. My mom's side more more uh, more artists. Okay. And like my aunt and my brother could paint and draw, and I couldn't. And I think there was that little, you know, like I kind of felt ashamed, like I want to be an artist, but I, I don't, I can't do that. Okay. And in a really sweet moment, I remember my mom kind of saying, there are other kind of artists. There are sculptors and there are, you know, visual artists of all types. And uh -huh. it's, oh. it's really sweet. And so <laughs> to me, it's sort of like, you know, and then of course, uh, like, I would assume like most kids, you have at least some interest in film, even if, even if you don't want to make it, but just going to the movies. I mean, it's exciting. It's like we live in that world. Right. Uh, you know, so I think seeing film as the per perfect combo, which it is, of like being an artist and being a storyteller. Um, and then I think that really kind of what took it to the next level would have been like when my stepdad got a Hi8 video camera mm -hmm. in probably like 1992. And I would just play with it and make videos like every single day. I was like obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, similar in a way. Um, so did you decide... Was there like, uh, did you know what you wanted to do at a certain point? Were you just kind of like working through it as just life went on and you just were like, okay, yeah, this is the next place I want to go to? Always knew for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been, I mean, even from, I, I would say from eighth grade. Mm -hmm. I was like, how old are you in eighth grade? 13, 14, maybe? I forget. <laughs> my, wait, you know, I think you're 14, 15. Four, okay, 14, Because my bar mitzvah was 13 and I was in seventh grade. Oh, uh, okay. okay. That's how I know that. Yeah, yeah. It's also Passover today. Oh yeah. Happy Pesach. Um, okay, so you always knew you like were like I'm going to make films. Let's just write always it down. Writing, always new directing. Yeah, it was okay. never like oh I don't know kind of you know what facet of film do I want to 
production design or costume design, I was immediately drawn to writing and directing. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, what, what kind of like kept adding to that was this local program in Santa Clarita called the Clarita Awards mm -hmm. that my dad's friend was involved with. And it was a program where every summer, uh, I guess just a kind of like, actually no, it wasn't summer, but an after school program where they pick a group of kids and you would learn everything, not everything, but you know, learn as much as you could about film from like lighting to using cameras, mm -hmm. you know, in a very um, small suburban town, low budget kind of way, but still. Still California, we were close though. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so I did that, and I would, so we would, each student would make um, their own short video, and then they would have like an award ceremony at the end. Um, but they actually like rented a place and had like a local kind of news anchor host it. Fierce. And it was called the Clarita Awards, and I did that every year. So I have a short video every year from high school, and they, of course, now are like hilarious to, to look back on. Yeah. Did you um, win? Yes. You well, swept. It, there's, Don't lie I feel to like me. I, I think I actually won an editing award, which is funny since I, I kind of fell into editing, you know, uh -huh. uh, before... I made my first movie. Um, again, did not think about that till right now. Look at all these things you're bringing out. I'm so happy Memories. for you. Honestly, like it's <laughs> good to be re to reminisce, isn't it? Oh my god, please cry. Be the first crier <laughs> on my podcast. I would love that. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I did that every year. It just you know it really like it solidified it. There was just kind of no doubt I wanted to be uh, um, be a director. And then I was again just being drawn towards things that were a bit different. Um, I remember the first. First, so it would have been like, you know, one per per year in high school. And the first one was kind of about like this computer that killed people. <laughs> all things. So you're also and realizing how dark you are. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, and then the second or third one, I can't fully remember, but there was one um, that was kind of the more, the more sort of fleshed out one. And it was called I Was a Teenage Stalker. Mm -hmm. And it was about like a cross-dressing high school student accused of murder. And I remember, I'll never forget, my dad, who got me into the program, you know, seeing it, and the, the previous one won something, and this one freaked everyone out, and I don't think got anything, but they still played it. And I remember my dad watching at the end, and there's, you know, this, that would have been 16, probably 16 years old, mm -hmm. uh, you know, friend of mine, like, a, a man from high school dressing up in, like, lingerie in this one scene, and mm -hmm. I'm in it at one point. It was just super crazy, and my dad watched it, and at the end, he was like, can't you make something more like Home Alone? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Like, I don't know. I don't really. I don't really like that. Oh my god, that is. I thought you were gonna say like so something completely different. Um, did you? Were you out then? Was it? Was that something that was like? No, I, I really. I never had the official coming out moment. It was sort of like. It just, it was like a slow, slow leak. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it, Justin. <laughs> uh, I think it, it only ever came up with my dad when I went with, with my friend Brandy to, and a bunch of her older gay male friends, um, who kind of like took us under their wing to the AIDS walk. Uh, and then they sent something in the mail, like a follow, you know, to, to donate or something. And, you know, my dad saw like the AIDS walk pamphlet. Oh God. And I was like. Give me a little look. Stop. Like, of all the ways for him to find out that I'm officially gay. horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's very awkward, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I had like, I had very long hair that I would sun in a lot. And so Shut I'm, up. Yeah, I'll show you a picture. <laughs> yeah. And so my mom, uh, I, I, I just didn't really tell anyone. I felt like it was no one's business. And, mm -hmm. you know, but I think because of the things I was into and making and the friends I had, it, it was clear to, I think, most yeah. people. So I think 
it wasn't until maybe senior year when my mom just finally asked me because I think she couldn't stand it anymore that I wasn't telling her. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of my long hair and all, you know, sun in it, she was like, okay, so you're gay, but I mean, are, there's a, other, another term that I've heard about called transgendered. Oh, are wow. you that too? And she was very worried. <laughs> like, what a dear. <laughs> like, it's okay if you are, but I don't know what's going to happen because what if you want to become a woman? What does that mean? I'm like, no, I, I mean, no, I'm just, I just definitely like guys though. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Um, okay. Yeah. Maybe you need, I, yeah, I need to like see that scene too. Um, <laughs> So, did you, but did you, when you were making the Murdering Cross Jester film, I didn't know we were going to be talking about this today, Me but either. now I'm this very interested. Okay. <laughs> um, so, when you made that, were you, did you know, did, were you like, um, was there any fear at that age for, I know you just said it leaked out slowly, <laughs> but was there um, like any conscious choice that you were making of, of how you were doing this kind of queer topic or queer character? I wouldn't, I don't really remember. I wouldn't say conscious choice of a queer character. It'd probably be more, I think more so being in high school and like, you know, wanting to be rebellious and like going to Marilyn Manson concerts and like going to raves you and taking acid. You are dropping the funniest <laughs> shit right now. I'm obsessed. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a Marilyn Manson phase followed by um, one that I was embarrassed about for so long and like I feel like just recently I can finally laugh about, which was a raver phase, meaning the most embarrassing photos of like head to toe candy raver gear pacifiers the whole get up cool so embarrassing but funny now um so yeah i think it's the, coming the, back <laughs> it's all coming back it's coming back um so i think i think it was a probably more so desire of you know that that just high school rebellion like i wanted to like make things that were shocking and wild and freak people out mm-hmm. to be totally frank uh and yeah some like queer stories and characters were of course a part of that cool yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think, I don't know what audience I'm going to get with this podcast or who's going to be listening to it. Um, but it's, it's, um, cool to keep sharing stories about, uh, our, each other's experiences, creating things at, uh, when we were coming up, you know, because I think, uh, it's cool to hear about people not struggling through the, with their sexuality through just they kept going or or the people who did struggle and and what came out of that you know mm-hmm. um so from your santa clarita sweeping <laughs> of the festivals there <laughs> what came next what did you need to, what was your next move it was trying to figure out, you know, graduating high school and trying to figure out um, a way into film. I didn't know anyone, and my, my parents were not in the industry. And uh, I went to, I, actually, I used to fax my resume to just random production companies. That's how, that's how old I am. I used to fax my resume. I know. Google the word fax. Find out what that is, please. This would have been like 1999. Uh, and I, yeah, I would fax a resume, you know, the resume had on it. Like I worked at the local movie theater and mm-hmm. did the, this yearly film program. That's really all I had. So no one ever called me, mm-hmm. but it was, there were internships. And so even looking back, I'm like, come on, give a kid an internship for Christ's sake. Yeah. I work for free. So yeah. I didn't get anything from that. And then, uh, and then someone told me about, um, AFI and you can go put your resume in the office and then volunteer on student films there. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that and I ended up getting a call and, you know, first time being on set, you know, AFI films are very professional. Like at the time, I believe it was, they were shooting on 35 on Panavision. And mm. so to see kind of the whole process work. And then from that, just started getting a bunch of PA gigs that kind of, you know, grew from, uh, from like indie films. Then I ended up on that film, Almost Famous. Uh, y- what? Yeah. Great. Yeah. And yeah. as a, you know, I, I was 
19 or 20. So to be a set PA on that film, I mean, it was like, a, I felt like the coolest person in the world. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and then it was like a, really like a very lucky or fortunate situation because the people, like the AD on that, the entire AD department, uh, they were all really into seeing PAs as people who were like there to learn, mm-hmm. not just to like fetch coffee and be yelled at. So cool. even though we nice did that, idea. we did all the grunt work, but they really uh, were like, gave us a lot of responsibility. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that led to a couple years of kind of set PAing and again, trying to figure out like, how do I get to that next step? Maybe at the time, if I had some brilliant script, I could have given it to some people, but I didn't have a brilliant script when I was 19. So <laughs> so wait, I'll pause for a second. I'm curious about this because um, I've been told many times, oh, you want to get in there? Go to get a PA job. And I've done some, and I've been around lots of different sets before, and I, I have witnessed a, the treatment of PAs, and I've just clocked it as being something that's like, oh... These people are not being treated like uh, that, like what you just described. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, oh, no, 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 fuck that. I don't want to do that. Like, I need to figure out some other way of doing this besides doing that. So can you speak on that in some way? Because I've never really heard someone say, like, this set was, like, about teaching PAs or helping or learning. Yeah, I guess it's, it, it's probably just a luck of the draw kind of thing. I yeah. mean, even even the, the PA gigs that I did have that weren't quite that fun and friendly still never that bad i mean you, you have to be like a real dick to just want to yell at a pa for the sake of yelling at them mm. i mean um and, and I, I don't know yeah it's, it's it's probably just straight up luck of the draw but it's still worth it i mean it, you know it, it, it could lead to nothing you never know mm-hmm. but it's just that little random trail of things you could be like you get a second one and then the person on that one's like actually my friend just quit being the assistant for the head of fox and mm-hmm. they need a new second assistant at the desk like you never know what it could lead to that's true um but since I saw most people getting into AD departments and like collecting hours for the DGA, uh, and then I saw a lot of people who were aspiring writer directors, and then now they're 50 and still being an AD, and I kind of freaked out. I'm like, I can't. I have this one dream, and I just can't give it up. So I went to film school. Mm-hmm. I left the world of Hollywood. You did. <laughs> the Hollywood set PA. The world <laughs> behind, didn't look back with just a suitcase and pair of heels. Kitten heels. Of course. Of yes. course. Um, okay, so then what's the school? I went to San Francisco. My uh, Same two best friends, Brandy and Christina, from high school, wanted to move there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of thought... You know, it'd be nice to get out of LA. It being again being a set PA, making like less than minimum wage, so broke in LA to have a car. It was just so crazy. Yeah, and I, was, I, I moved out when I was eighteen. Um, I was like sharing a one bedroom apartment with a friend in in Hollywood, and thought it'd be nice to not have a car, go to San Francisco, just try something different. Mm-hmm. And and also up until then, I really didn't. I wasn't doing anything gay. Mm-hmm. I mean, in San Francisco. No, in, in LA, LA up okay. until so I moved LA, there when I was twenty. That's I don't believe you. <laughs> just like I mean, even the, well, yeah, I guess went to the AIDS walk with some gay friends. Um, went to Akbar one time with a fake ID. Mm-hmm. Was it the same? I don't think they had Has that back room. Oh, probably. Not. I'm pretty sure it was. It was just that front small room, unless it was just closed when I went there. Um, but yeah, uh, so it was kind of fun to go to San Francisco and just feel like I was in a whole new world, like mm-hmm. meaning a whole new queer world. I think even up until then, it was sort of like, I had that typical young gay person thing where you're sort of like, oh, 
oh, I don't, I want to be, I don't want to be gay, gay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I don't need to go to gay pride, like that kind of thing. Right. And to go to SF and really embrace gay culture and queer culture and kind of like become a part of a real community of artists and. It was a really, really amazing experience, so I'm, I'm like super grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to community college up there and then transferred to SF State and went to the film program, waited tables all through college, and then started making a bunch of music videos for my friends' bands. Right. Um, um, bands that I'm a big fan of, like Hunks and His Punks, right? Hunks and His Punks. We did, I think, like eight together, maybe even more. It was right. so fun. Gravy Train. Oh my God. Gravy Train. Yeah. <laughs> I love Gra- Gravy Train. Is uh, if you don't know them, look them up. Um, is uh, who's the guy in it again? Well, so Seth Bogart of Gravy right. Train uh, is Hunks of Hunks and His Punks. Right. Yeah. But isn't Johnny Makeup guys. in Gravy he was Train? In the, so I, the video I did for them. That's funny. Uh, he's not, but he was in the video that I did for them called Club Situation. Okay. He was like a cameo. Maybe that's why I thought about it. Um, anyways, love Gravy Train. Big fan. Um, so yeah. So then. What uh... and quick fun little uh, trivia moment. Um, <laughs> the, I, I put a Gravy Train song in my new film, in the JT Leroy film. Yeah, I mean really fun. <laughs> that is really fun. That's really exciting. Came out at the same time period, so uh, yeah, yeah. Like when I was when I first moved to San Francisco, um, their song uh, "Hell Nervous" was like it was playing everywhere. Yes. Um, so I long in the back, short in the wiener. Yes. Sucking my mouth like a vacuum vacuum cleaner cleaner. or muff like a vacuum, (laughs) sucking my muff like a vacuum cleaner. I think that's how it goes. Um, Yeah, that's a, that's a classic. Yeah, you'll see it. I will be walking down the aisle to that song. (laughs) Um, Cool. That's cool to know. Um, Okay. So music videos happen. Were you then starting to, I mean, cause you written all your movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Were you coming up with things? Were you, was it all doing? Yeah, I was writing like a lot of ideas for scripts. There's really only one that I fully finished that was gay. Um, that never, you just, I, I don't know, I just never really tried to get it out anywhere. I don't know. I, I don't think it was very good. Um, oh my God, it'd be funny to read it now. It's probably terrible. <laughs> Let's do it. Read it, baby. Taylor Reed. Let's have a table. <laughs> Taylor Reed for fun. Oh my God. It was called The Hearts. I remember that. And it was like, a kind of like, um, really, again, like, dark relationship about like a gay dude in love with someone who he could never really have but the mm-hmm. person who didn't want him kind of like wanted it was like a little, little snm not like tie up wise but like just knew that he could take advantage of this guy who was really into him and kind of treated him like shit and the mm-hmm. guy kept, kept coming back from her what does that say about me <laughs> i'm like looking deep in your eyes right now being like what is this guy's deal no just kidding i don't know like i remember one scene where the 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 guy the straight-ish or bi-curious bi guy takes the gay dude who has a crush like out into the woods and like makes him strip of all, of all his clothes and he like leaves him really far out in the woods and just, and just leaves him there and he's like, find his way back home. <laughs> but then like, you know, so, and we think it's, oh, this is so awful. He's like sweating. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's like, found naked and given a ride home, but it's awful. And he like lies and says he doesn't know who took him there. And then like, he wants it to happen again. Okay. <laughs> I remember that happening. That's a, you know, a choice. <laughs> Love it. Again, you're pulling all these things out. I have not thought of for so long. It's great. It's now so you're going to go home and you're going to be like, I guess I'm making the hearts. That's my next uh, project. Um, cool. Um, so yeah. So we're getting there. Yes. Yeah, so writing a little bit, but then music videos were, uh, you know, again, if you um, if you want to be a painter, you can you know pull a, a, a Basquiat and find like a piece of wood on the street and paint on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, with film, it requires so much. You need equipment. You need 
lights. I mean, nowadays it's different. You can use your iPhone, but um, back then, like Mini DV just came out, and even you know that was considered kind of expensive at the time. Yeah. And um, but I was able to get my hands on equipment from school, and music videos were a way of like, oh, my friends' bands, like they all want music videos because it's mm. a great tool, and uh, and YouTube was kind of just becoming a bigger thing. Um, and so they, you know, they, they would pay all of like, whatever, a couple hundred bucks, not to me, <laughs> yeah. as, as a budget, so we can at least, you know, buy people pizza. Right. Uh, and that became a really great way to like, show people that I can make something. Yeah. And so I did, I did a ton of music videos and they really kind of like, got out there, not in some massive way, I didn't like, you know, then land a fancy music video agent or anything, but mm. <laughs> at least got my name out there a little bit enough to be like, oh look, I can, I can do this, I can make, I can make film. And you were, just to be clear, you were, you were uh, operating and directing and editing, right? Yes, and then for a few of them, I ended up partnering with a director of photography there. Okay. Because I was sort of like, I don't like, I just want to be on set and kind of focus more on directing. I don't want to have to shoot it. It's really complicated to do both. Right. So I had someone who would help me with a few of them. Um, and then, uh, so kind of doing that, writing, and then at the very end, it was actually after I graduated college, then I made my thesis film. Okay. Uh, I just call it thesis film because it's kind of like what I was developing in a, mm. in a thesis film class in college, but ended up not making it till later because it was expensive and I needed to like save up money. Um, yeah, so writing music videos, working on a thesis film, and then I got a job right out of college, which is crazy, at a TV network called Current TV that, mm -hmm. like, Al Gore founded okay. that became Al Jazeera US, oh. which I think now is defunct. Mm -hmm. um, I got a job as an editor, and it was a weird thing, because, like, I just, from editing my own work, I had something to show, and my friend recommended me. I'm like, oh, I'm not, I mean, I want to be a director, not an editor, but, okay, and they ended up hiring me, and I remember going into the, into the job interview, and the guy said, like, oh, you know, what, what do you, how much do you want per hour? And I was thinking like, $10 an hour. <laughs> yeah. like, that's like a lot, 10, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> and luckily he was nice, he looked at me and he was like, 30? And oh I, was like, I was like, what? I'm 30? rich. <laughs> oh my fucking God, he like, lost my mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're rich, babe, congrats. You're like, uh, yeah, that, that would be, I guess that's gonna work. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, t I meant to say 30, 10 was, it was 10 times three is what I meant to yeah, say. Yeah, like I had weird. something in my yeah, throat, exactly. my bad. Um, <clears throat> okay, so, Al Jazeera USA um, editing stuff does does what comes next like is that like did Gus Van Zant see you editing on Al Jazeera <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> no it would have been I was there for two I think almost three years so I was able to then use the money I made from that job to pay for my short film because okay. I shot actually shot on film I did Super 16 with like a full Panavision package <laughs> you're crazy yeah it was crazy um, and shot in LA over like eight days. Looking back, it's completely insane. Like the number one, if I had advice for anyone making a short film, make like a five minute piece that takes two to four days to shoot. Yeah, write that down. <laughs> I was advice. being way too, way too ambitious and, and um, but it, 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 it I'll, won't jump ahead too much, but that got me my first feature, so it ended up being worth it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I did this whole crazy film called Front and it was uh, shot on film over a long period of time with just enough money to rent everything, but like no one got paid. Mm -hmm. It was all for the love of it. Six 10 to 12 year old boys were the stars and there was a bunny rabbit. Excuse me. So it was like, you know, everyone, all the things that people say not to do, I feel like I, mean, I yeah. did. 
But yeah, how the hell did you do that? Did you do it, was it through insane. a union? Should I not even ask that question? We did have like a, an actual animal handler for this rabbit. I don't, yeah, we okay. did. We did. <laughs> the rabbit had a handler. That's good. Yeah, and there's a scene where like one of the kids throws a rock at the rabbit, actually. And we had to like fake it. Anyways, it was a whole thing. It was a crazy shoot. <laughs> crazy, crazy thing. But it did get me to go through the full process of like shooting on film, tra- like telecine to mini DV, and then conforming later. And um, the whole posting was donated by like this company in San Francisco. So I did that whole thing. Uh, and so I kind of had that to show editing experience from this TV network, all these music videos, and I was just hustling to turn all of that into something. Yeah. Um, which it did, but not for, uh, I would say like five, five years later or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it led to, should I just keep going? I'm like rambling. No, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like learning right here. I'm just like listening. Yeah. Uh, that led to editing features. So I had like edit experience that, um, and, and a real, and people really were responding to the way I cut for the TV network. Like they kind of had me do cool. a lot of the bigger stuff, not to pat myself on the back, but I felt like, okay, good. I have this like skill and learning how to edit is the best tool for a director as a lot of people know. Yeah. Um, when you're when you're thinking of or when you're right, I'm yeah, it must all play together in your mind of what you're envisioning for whatever you're making. You know, you want to edit it probably. Yeah, and just to to, like, to learn how to craft a story. Um, I did a lot of stuff at Current where it was it was wild. It would be like, here's a hard drive with 30 hours of footage from this trip to the Congo, and then here are like six scripts that are rough. Like go through all the footage and make these six pieces, and it really like a month of doing that. Yeah, and just kind of I don't have that that really um helpful tool of like learning how to craft a story from what you're given right and then editing other people's features became the kind of other end of that where it's like you know to see how someone planned and you see exactly what worked and what didn't you know even some simple thing of like oh they yelled that person said i'm I'm gonna go and then they yelled cut i wish i would have had that person get off the couch and go out the door because i needed like a kind of movement to get to the next scene right so a little thing of like oh try to always have people enter and exit in things that you shoot, like little things like that would come about, you know, and, and be super helpful. I mean, wow. Yeah. Like that's stuff that you can only learn from just like doing it and experiencing it and like being very hands-on and like watching it. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, yeah. So I edited a few super low budget movies, recut someone's $5 million movie, like a full kind of re-edit. So that was kind of a cool experience. Yeah. Um, and again, for, for people who ever like like, because I, I was always looking for kind of practical advice getting into film. And so for those who, you know, who, who do need to know, all this stuff I'm talking about making, like, next to nothing. Yeah. So it's it's always, like, a, it was always, like, a crazy struggle to figure out, like, how to get to where I wanted to be not being independently wealthy. Right. And working on a lot of things that pay, like, very, very little. Right. But, but, um, but again, it was just, it's all I ever wanted to do. So I kind of, like, was not about to give up. Right. I'll, like, go live in my car if need be but luckily it didn't go there (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know do what you gotta do um so i want to get to uh your experience with gus van zandt and working um around you worked on milk yeah yeah um and just the environment around that movie um i've talked to i did um an interview with uh another filmmaker and he talked about how milk when he saw milk it inspired him to come out to his friends like the next day and so that movie had such a I think impact on young people and um, also just in general the community and of course um, culturally with it winning awards and stuff so 
and you being queer, I'm, I'm curious how that, did that play into the experience at all? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was, uh, I mean, obviously a massive Gus Van Sant fan. Mm-hmm. And then I was living in San Francisco after leaving some, one of the, the feature edit jobs. Uh, again, with all these things and trying to, I mean, music videos and script ideas and trying to figure out what to do and kind of freaking out a little bit. Heard the Milk was coming to town. And, oh my God, I would die to work on that. But of course... That will, that will never happen. Yeah. Um, but a close friend of mine who, again, to flash forward, ends up shooting my first film, I'm Michael. Cool. He's, a, he's a very talented, like award-winning DP. He had been working on every Gus film since, I believe, Elephant as mm. Harris Savita's, Gus's DP's AC. Okay. And I kind of thought, oh, it's a long shot, but I don't know, like, Gus's sets are small, and it turns out that, yeah, like, they actually were you know, pretty good friends. And so my friend Chris just put a word in, uh, not to Gus, because, you know, Gus is not in charge of hiring the editor's assistant, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah. um, to the editor, which led to an interview. Um, and, you know, he was sort of like, oh, you know, I know you've been editing stuff, but this is definitely a step down. You're, it's really a PA job. Okay. But you will be like, you know, in the edit room and it's a small crew. It's not like a big Hollywood movie where there's five assistants. It was Gus Van Sant, the editor, first assistant, and me. That was it. Cool. And then, of course, I'm like, I'm going to learn so much from that. Absolutely, yes, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got the job, and, uh, and and yeah, definitely like the just the I don't know the the honor and excitement of working on what at that time was and might still be just like one of the most important gay films ever. Absolutely, there are so many. I hate to like just well, sure, put yeah. one on a pedestal, but you know Harvey Milk's story. It's like it was incredible to just see how it all played out and to visit set and to just see how things worked in the edit room. Um, it was pretty incredible. And uh, it was just the San Francisco portion, but then we all became so close and, and familiar working together that they said, okay, well, we're, now, you know, sh- the shoot's over, now we're going to Portland to Gus's office to cut the whole movie mm-hmm. for, you know, like five months. So do you want to come? Oh my God, really? I'm like, yes, absolutely. Uh, and I remember the producers were like, cool, you can go. Like, we're not paying for you to go, though, so okay. you can go and work as a local. Okay. And I still said yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, like, okay, I'll just, um, okay. Selling all your clothes. Like, you're like, I'll be right back. You know, I'm just hooking. I'm just kidding. Um, So yeah, you did what you had to do. Yes, exactly. Um, Yes, went to Portland, worked on that. And again, just the, the amount that I learned, obviously, from seeing a full feature, not only a full feature, but one with like, you know, Hollywood movie, big actors, my favorite director, see that whole thing how it's put together and how it's made from start until the complete film was delivered like mm-hmm. a year later. I was on the whole thing. Cool. It was such an exciting experience. Um, and, uh, and yeah, then that led to Gus seeing my short film mm-hmm. with the kids front. And then that led to him teaming up, teaming me up with uh, James Franco to make I am Michael. So just jumping right to that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, I, I just had a vision of you oh, in no, my just mind. Keep talking. No, I love it. Like you're you're killing it. You're like slaying it. Um, no, I, I, I t- tell me like no Frankie that's between me and Gus but what how did Gus end up seeing your short like did you did you say something because I'm terrified of asking for people to like check out my stuff or like look at my thing or what do you think oh, cool. I'm the same way like, no, no, I'm like I always felt good about hustling in terms of like not being afraid to speak up or try to get a certain job but I can't do that thing that some people do where they're really pushing people yeah. to read their script watch their film Ew. 
I can't, I just, I don't have that in me. I don't want to bother people. Uh, I can't. I'm, I'm sighing a sigh of relief because yeah. it's, it's, I think I, I, I'm always like judging myself about it being like, I'm not made out for this then. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if I'm not that way, then how the hell am I going to do this? You know? Exactly. Exactly. People are always be like, you're being, you're too nice. You have to be more aggressive. I'm like, I'm, I'm fine being assertive, but, uh, I just want to be, I want it to ha- to unfold in, in, um, in like a real and fair and honest way. I don't want to like f- try to throw my work to, to people like Gus, who probably has like a stack full of other people's films and scripts on his desk. So yeah, no, I didn't give it to me. It was uh, it was probably like the uh, three quarters through the process. So like seven or eight months, almost nearing the end mm-hmm. when his assistant in Portland, who I became good friends with, um, kept saying like, you're being crazy. Just like show it to him. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, I, it just feels so weird. And she's like, she, it, was, it was a DVD and she like grabbed it. She's like, I'm just giving it to him. You have no choice. Oh, cool. And of course I'm like, yay. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, okay. If you might, uh, uh. But it was still like nerve wracking. And yeah. you know, like I know he probably will watch it. And then he did watch it and genuinely really responded to it and liked it. Ended up actually showing it to Harris Savitas, his DP, who's a legend. You know, he shot like, Zodiac and Margaret right. the Wedding and Elephant and Last Days and yeah. Milk. Yeah. Uh, and I remember Harris called me on the phone what? to tell me how much she liked. It was mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, so I was like, cool. And, you know, I didn't know what would come of it. Uh, and that would have been 2008, because that's when Milk came out. So maybe end of 2008. Um, and, you know, kept in contact with everyone for sure. But that that kind of him seeing the short didn't manifest into anything until fast forward to 2012. Okay. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool because it's sort of, you know, I mean, of course it'd be the fantasy of like, oh, Gus Van Sant watches my short film and like I'm making a feature the next year. I mean, come on, that's like crazy. Yeah. (laughs) But now looking back on it, it kind of could just be like that though, you know? It's like you never know. Um, But uh, uh, yeah, he just just luckily kept it in mind. and then we mostly stayed in contact because of, uh, of again, connecting all these dots. My newest film that I just finished about the JT Leroy saga, mm-hmm. because Gus was very involved in that. And he was friends with JT. So when I started working on that script, this would be in between the 2008 and 2012 moment right. of um, working little odd edit jobs here and there, and then working nonstop on this JT script, because I was working on it with Savannah, who was JT in public, based on her memoir. Other people wanted the rights to the book, and we kind of had it together. So I feel like this could be like such a real thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I would have Gus read drafts of JT, and he loved them. So cool. And uh, and he knew these characters so well, and so it was really nice to hear him say like, "Oh my god, this is exactly how they were." Sick. Really, really cool. And uh, so I think it's a combo of like him reading that script, like, "Oh, he can write this script that, that that's really that's good." And I love this short film. So again, so that's why when all of the four. I guess it would have been four years later when James Franco calls Gus to say, let's option this article that I Michael's based on um, about this crazy story of an ex-gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gus just, with all the themes about like queer identity, which my short film had, um, a lot of parts took place in San Francisco where I had lived. There's uh-huh. so many things that were like, that made it exactly in my, put it right in my world. Right. Uh, and he just kind of thought like, actually I have the perfect person I think who should should write and direct this. Cool. Yeah. Let's talk about I Am Michael. So, um, I mean, you know what? I'm not even going to say anything. I want to know what, <laughs> how you feel about this movie and, and where you're at. Uh, because I enjoyed the movie and I, I uh, in my, not that people don't enjoy the movie, 
But um, yeah, I'm just gonna stop talking. Let's hear, <laughs> let's hear what you have to say. No, keep keep on going. This is fun. <laughs> uh, no, I would say um, no. I'm I'm really happy with it. It's something where it's the kind of thing where uh, uh, obviously with any film, someone sees it and that's all they're judging is just that product in front of them. Right, right, right. And so it's it's always funny to. You know, if I, if I were to hear, which, which I, I of course did, some gay people not being into it because they felt like it gave this guy a voice, or assuming the director was like a gay Christian or had other, you know, another agenda, and I'm like, God, if only they could see me like hella gay and fully comfortable with it, zero religion in my life at all, grew up with no religion, no fear of God, nothing, nothing whatsoever, yeah. writing this um, script because strictly based on reading the article that we uh, that we optioned and being just blown away by how someone could go from being this hardcore activist for all things gay especially helping like gay kids like you know preventing doing everything to kind of help prevent uh, gay suicide and just let kids know that they're accepted and they're okay for who they are mm. to go to a complete anti-gay hateful christian pastor um, it's an, it's a fascinating story, and like making that movie doesn't mean you're giving him a voice at all. You're telling one person's story. It doesn't mean that you support him at all. I mean, it'd be saying like, cause I, like we did of course a press tour for it, and what I would always kind of bring up a lot of like, I'd be like, oh, that'd be like saying that the like the director of of like the Charlize Theron film Monster like supports is condoning murder, right? Like, no, it's just a film about this one woman's story and what happened. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that you agree and support the fact that she murdered people. Right. Um, so, yeah, it felt a little bit silly, but uh, to me, kind of all the controversy and, and everything aside, I'm really proud of it. I feel like it's really interesting, at least for me, to, to, to make a film that um, is as non-judgmental to a, a very unlikable character, at least to me, an unlikable character, as possible it makes a more interesting story than the one that would have just shown shown him as like a villain right um so uh so yeah i, I don't know and, and i it, i spent close to three years on the script so as exciting as the whole uh thing was of, of getting on this project as a first feature right. with james and gus it did take years of writing and rewriting it was never anything real until it was done yeah i mean y'all it, it's a true story it's not like you you necessarily came up with this or based on a true story um, I mean, oh God, yeah, the, yeah, that, that, no, that, that would come up during, during the press tour and it was sort of like, uh, I, I would always say, yeah, if, you know, if, if this were a purely fictional story, then I think I'd understand some of the criticism. Absolutely. This is, this is a true story. It really happened. And the New York times article that it was based on the comment section, but like thousands and thousands of people like arguing and just, it was so polarizing right. amongst gay and straight people. And I thought that is so fascinating that this story, like lots, it, it, it's, it's, it's equally supported and um, kind of frowned upon by an equal amount of gay people and straight people, which is really cool. Um, so it kind of became like, wow, what a cool idea to make a movie uh, about this polarizing subject matter. So that at the, at the end, it kind of starts this conversation about, um, you know, what happened, what it means, was he right, was he wrong? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and to me, the last shot of the movie, without giving it away, is very obviously shows that perhaps he did not make the right decisions and perhaps he's lying to himself. Uh, you know, and some people didn't see it that way, which is interesting to me. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I connected to it in that, in like that cautionary tale kind of way of like, this is how it could have been for some people, or like, th this is a way, uh, I mean, I, I suggest everyone go see the movie because it's one of those movies that you end up talking about with your friends, you know, and it's being on Netflix like, now. It's, and it's on Netflix now. Yeah, it's just one of those movies that like, uh, uh, I definitely, when I first heard about it, was like, 
er, you know, uh, I don't know about this. But then I, I saw who was making it and I saw who was a part of it. And I thought, all right, so it's these people that there's definitely something underneath this that's important. And, uh, I'm glad you made that movie. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, of course. Uh, and what, what, what did it feel like to get that pushback from the community, the gay, the queer community? I mean, because I, I mean, I've seen, I saw that and it, it made me kind of be like, oh man, like, but there's these queer filmmakers doing stuff. So can y'all shut up, you know? Yeah, I think it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a deal as, as, or it wasn't a big deal to me. Um, it might be one of those things where like in this, uh, you know, age of Facebook and Instagram and et cetera, yeah. you know, if like, we're all critics. If you have thousands of friends, if three or four people post about something, it becomes like, oh my god, this is what's this is a whole big thing and an mm. issue, and it's like it's actually not. Yeah. There are millions of people in LA County alone. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your couple thousand friends on Facebook don't really like represent everyone. It's it's, it's this weird thing. So it's like, uh, for me, from from all the premieres I went to, we went to Sundance, we went to Berlin, went to Istanbul, cool. kind of went all over, we went to Melbourne, Australia. So traveling with it. And then doing press for it, it was sort of like most people uh, got it and understood it and and like knew why we made it and liked it. Mm-hmm. And then most of the gay people who spoke out against it hadn't seen it yet. Right. I noticed it was an, a very fascinating trend. Interesting. Like, hmm, maybe you should watch it first. That's fucking typical, <laughs> right? Yeah. Any yeah, any film that comes out that has something potentially problematic for the gay community um, just gets railed before anyone sees it. So true, it happens every it? single time. It's it's pretty wild. So uh, kind of like you know, it didn't really. I guess long story short, it didn't really bum me out because it wasn't like I wasn't like you know being heckled at events or anything. It was just sort yeah. of like some people saying, uh, "Oh, like, like why give this guy a voice? Aren't there other kind of gay stories to be told?" Um, and uh, and, and, and yeah, it, it, it's almost as though, again, getting being realistic about how hard it is to get your first feature off the ground, let alone with someone like James Franco, Zachary Quinto, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like I had this and then nine other projects, and I was picking like my favorite of the 10. Right. I mean, I had this and only this. Yeah. And I knew I could make it and get it made, and I loved the story because it was so wild and so crazy. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I went, I went through a very long process of like massive rewrites, drastic, like scrapped whole drafts of the script and went back to page one mm-hmm. uh, to get it to where it, it is. And it is like the most, or sorry, the least judgmental version of any of them. And everyone involved, meaning everyone, everyone who involved who they were all gay, yeah. all gay people being like, the more it gets pushed in this direction of like almost trying to, to, to relate to him and to almost like let the film fuck with you and think like wait like is he right is he wrong the better the script became yeah uh so you know not not to say that those people are right or that i'm right but i felt and still feel really good about it and um and yeah some some people you know might not like it or might feel like it's fuck them not valid but most people got it i don't know yeah if not then suck it suck it (laughs) suck it whatever but um i'm curious about i haven't really asked you any questions about working with actors and directing actors, um, especially something like I am Michael, where, I mean, what the fuck is going on in his head, you know, like, and, and, and to get the performances that you got, I mean, of course you're working with talented, amazing actors, but, um, was, what's your strategy with, with working with actors like that? It's pretty much, uh, a lot of times you, with 
films of this like, budget level and then with cast like like a James, people are super busy, don't get a lot of rehearsal time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've like come to learn that I really don't like doing like proper rehearsal rehearsal and almost every actor I've worked with doesn't either. Uh-huh. It's, it's uh, not just that we don't probably prep a ton, but it's more so about meeting, going through the script page by page, talking about every scene and getting super in depth and understanding the character, making sure we're on the same page. Um, I do like massive rewrites with my actors based on thoughts they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, so it's, it's really like talk everything through wildly in depth before we get on set, things always change. You like lose a location. It, this whole scene that we thought would be sitting on a countertop somewhere becomes this diner where they have to be st- sitting on the floor, like whatever, like I can't, right. can't think of a good example, but uh, so things become so different anyways once you're on set. So it's about kind of like running things through blocking on set, changing what needs to be changed, doing take one and then making adjustments from there. Yeah. Um, which I, I mean, I would imagine is it's, I think that's pretty basic, but some people like to rehearse like full on rehearsals of each scene weeks before the movie. Right. Uh, and I haven't had the luxury of that opportunity, but I also really don't think I would like doing it. Yeah. Really, I, I love the kind of spontaneity of being on, in a scene on that particular set, knowing that we all know exactly what we want yeah. and then going for it. Yeah, I mean, I was, um, you know, I've grown up in the acting, being an acting school and acting student, and you just hear all this bullshit about, uh, you know, all these fucking feelings as an actor and being on set and blotty fucking blah. Sorry to sound so, <laughs> that was horrible. But, um, but you know, I, I kind of was like, yeah, that's right. I heard Jennifer Lawrence doing this, like, interview. I think it was, like, one of those, like, Hollywood reporter roundtables. And she was like, you know what? I would rather a director just look at me and tell me exactly what they fucking wanted. And that's all. You know, I don't need to be told about, you know, the feeling and whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Just tell me what you want. I'd prefer that. Um, do you feel that too? Like that you would rather just tell actors exactly what you want? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it depends on the person and the collaboration. Yeah, like I definitely, um, I'm definitely very concise and direct. It's sort of like, um, oh, I kind of saw that moment as more like this. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it'd be cool if it were a bit more sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't really get super wooey into like, actually, your character right now is thinking of like 15 years ago when her mother gave her those flowers and then the flowers yeah. died. And then, yeah. uh, you know <laughs> that your mom is right behind. Yeah, all that crap. It's bullshit. But again, but again I've, I've also been so blessed to have worked with like so many amazing actors who are crazy experienced yes. and... Um, it can nail exactly what you want with it by, by take three, if not take two, if not take one. Right. <laughs> um, so kind of moving a little forward, not too far forward, because I know King Cobra happened pretty quickly after I and Michael mm-hmm. was at what premiered, right? Yeah. Um, I think you told me once, like within weeks, right, of it that happening. Yeah. Well, it shot exactly each film I've done. It's by pure chance. JT is the fourth. It's been each one per summer. Okay. Almost almost around the same time. It's very weird. Get it? Are you doing it's one very this summer? Weird. So far, yes. Oh my god, look at you! Knock on wood. Oh my god, look <laughs> at you! That's amazing. Can't um, stop, won't stop. Good, don't. Uh, so, with King Cobra, uh, another kind of story based on something that happened, uh, which is like, I, I know, like in ten years, like the young gays are going to be like screaming about that movie and they're going to have, they might have like, you know, they're like midnight showings and stuff. Cause it's kind of like got that like pulpy culty kind of vibe to it. 
Just thought I'd tell you that. I love that. I hope so. Yeah. Um, Rocky Horror Picture Show version of King Cobra, I would like lose my mind. Can't you see that though? <laughs> like when I saw it, I was like, I can like totally see like people like acting this out on stage for some reason. Um, uh, so, which is kind of, you know, a, a little bit of a left turn from I Am Michael style wise, you know. Um, can you talk to me about directing and writing that film? Yeah, I wanted to do, well, after I Am Michael, I thought the next thing, since Hollywood likes to put everyone in a box, uh, I thought the next thing I'd do should probably not be controversial and not be gay. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I guess you did that. Next thing, you know, it's like suddenly making something 10 times gayer than I Am Michael, gay porn, murder. Uh, it just, it's the weirdest thing. It really, um, it's it came from James Franco, which I, it feels like, I'm, I must feel like, talking about it feels like I'm not supposed to, but we did talk about it when and he was with him in the room during press for that, so I feel like it's okay. Uh-huh. But he just really wanted to, he wanted us to make something together again, like how lucky am I? Yes. And just loves kind of controversial, wild things. And so we were actually talking about, and this was his idea, I actually don't know if I've ever said this part, but I was like, let's make a movie about Grinder. Oh my God, stop it. <laughs> I was like, what are you? <laughs> You're like, what would it be? Uh-huh, go on. But something something that I'd have to write, you know, within a couple of months, which is really fucking quick to yeah. in order to, to to shoot um, during his next kind of free period, which which I think he was available in August, and we're talking about this in probably March. It's mm-hmm. like really fast. Yeah. Um, the only thing I could think of, I'm sure there are plenty of great ideas, but I just kept thinking of like you know, some kind of murder mystery thing about someone on Grinder killing people, and then after I and Michael kind of thought like. The gays are gonna come after me. Oh, grinder! Right. As a t- as a tool for gays to kill people, I thought maybe I should shy away from that. Actually, well, yeah. And um, always I had a little like you know bookmark story idea folder. Always had the Brent Corrigan story because it's so crazy. Yeah. Oh my so God. I threw that. I guess that does still involve gays and murder, but in a different way, and it's a true story. Yeah. Uh, so I just like threw that out to James instead of the grinder thing, and he's like, "Oh my God, that's great! That is yeah. great." Oh, okay. I thought you were saying that James... Okay, so James said, let's make a grinder movie. That became King Cobra. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I I now (laughs) totally understand. Uh, That's amazing. But I kind of do want to see the James Franco grinder movie, too, now that you said it. (laughs) It would Um, be great, yeah. Like, yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I'm sure you know about, like, the whole cruising, the movie cruising controversy. I mean, when I... learned about that I was kind of like oh shit you know it did make me a little more conscious because like the shit that I've written like before I knew about kind of that kind of stuff about gays being perceived in the media as like devils and and people who are just like nasty and adulterous and and drug addicts and Mm -hmm. now being perceived as murderers you know it's just like I get it um but well, for me, it's like really because, uh, of course, I got you know the the sort of um, and again not not backlash because it was not that big of a deal, but no. the the negative comments about say I am Michael, it was like almost the flip side of that for King Cobra because then it became um, less about you know why are you giving this person a voice and more about like oh okay so all gay people gay people are porn stars and murderers and misfits uh, and outcasts and Jesus that's and, what people fucking say yeah and, and all, all I could think to say and not it, and it's completely valid it's like uh, you know. I feel like this big kind of um, creative moment in queer film that like launched so many amazing filmmakers like Gus and Todd, new queer, there's actually a complete phrase for it. I'm totally- um, Queer uh, core. 
right? No, not queer core. There's even, there's even a book about it. So it would be like, you know, like new queer, new queer revolution, cinema, something like new queer cinema. But, you know, kind of like that mid, Bruce to, mid to late stuff. 90s. Bruce LaBruce, um, Gus's Malanoche, Todd's Poison. Okay. Uh, you know, and if you look at all those films, what's the kind of connective tissue? It's all about the fact that, like, being gay, uh, you don't have, you shouldn't have to apologize. Right. Like, we're not here to be like, we're gay, but we're just like you, so I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm like, we're so sorry. We, we don't, there are no gay murderers. There are no gay porn stars. We are totally normal. And all those filmmakers are like, no, like, Malanoche is about hustling. Poison is about, is about AIDS and uh, Hustler White about hooker. It's like, yeah. I feel like uh, a lot of great, um, and like great, great gay art comes from not apologizing for being gay. I love that. So to me, it's sort of like, yeah, and, and again, in King Cobra, it's a true story. It's, it's one person's, uh, you know, or multiple characters, but each person's story doesn't mean I'm saying that it was okay to murder that guy or that it's okay to be a porn star mm. or anything, or in, in the Joe and Harlow characters' cases to be, uh, you know, to be escorts. It's just, it's just their story. It's totally worth telling. It's fascinating. Um, and I'm not going to not make a film where gay people are porn stars and murderers because I'm not here to apologize no. for being gay. Good. Boom. <laughs> Suck on that. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, you know, I'm just thinking as you're talking about this, uh, I, uh, I guess noticed that you're, you made, you've made films that are really about true stories or, um, no, I don't, I haven't seen Welcome to Stranger yet, but I, I'm going to watch it. I promise. Um, it's my first heterosexual movie. <laughs> I know. I was going to segue into that one, too. Um, so, but, you know, filmmaking, I've talked to a couple different filmmakers about how, what they get excited about making, what they want to make. And I've heard from other people saying that, you know, it's, a, it's personal. It's all about making pers things that are from me that I need to tell or stories that are based on something that happened to them. Is that part of your, what you do and what you want to do? Um, I feel like the only thing I could th think of that would be personal that connects everything I've done is maybe just, uh, they all deal in some way with like this idea of like, of, of what it means to identify as anything, whether it's gay, straight, goth, raver, uh -huh. <laughs> filmmaker, uh, what it means to kind of like identify as something, how that, how that structures your life, how that makes you want to be perceived a certain way, to dress a certain way. Um, you know, if you're trying to be a very serious Hollywood filmmaker, you might not dress like you're going to a Marilyn Manson concert. <laughs> just to circle back to that. Maybe not. Yeah. Like, let's, how many and, times can we drop Marilyn Manson? And it's, I, I just love the idea. I love the idea. I love that idea almost in the way to where I, it, it would almost feel like that's something that I've struggled with. But I, I you know, unless I have some deep down hmm. issue that's going to like explode one day in my life after a therapy session, uh, I don't have always felt like pretty comfortable with who I am confident, comfortable being gay. Uh, I think it's just it's something that I, I'm always blown away by. Like, I remember in high school, like, sort of a, I kind of had, like, a lot of, I was friends with, like, a couple girls on the track team, but at the same time, all, like, the goth kids and, like, the skaters. And I remember this girl from the track team who I was close with seeing my friend Lisa gothed out. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I wish I could do that. Like, I wish I could dress like that. And I was like, you can. Yeah. And, and this look on her face of like, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm the track star. I can't. And it was, it was so, it's so sad. I'm like, oh, no, but that is so sad. Um, I think that, that, that weird story kind of always stuck with me. And I'm just kind of really into that. So it's, 
I don't know if that's to say it's personal, but yeah. it's something that we all that we all do deal with. And you know, we all pick one picture for a dating profile, for a Facebook profile, for Instagram. Mm. Like, what is that one picture? That's how you want people to see you. It's and I think it's just really, it's really interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you, y'all. Okay, <laughs> quickly. If you don't know the story of JT Leroy, I just made your whole night, and I hope you're staying in and, and doing all the research, watching all the documentaries, because it is a fascinating story. Um, sorry, there's a, there's a race track apparently outside my apartment. Um, so, yeah, JT, the story of JT Leroy is awesome. It takes, let's have you describe it, actually. Oh, wow. Okay, let's see. Um, I kind of used to always pitch it sort of without the reveal first, meaning like in in 2000, a young queer author named JT Leroy wrote a book called Sarah that became a New York Times bestseller, blew up. He wrote a few other books, toured the world. Uh, one of the books was turned into a film starring Marilyn Manson, Winona yes. Ryder, Peter Fonda. And 10 years after JT kind of first came on the scene, but six years after people first started meeting him, it was revealed that he didn't exist at all. It was a woman uh, around 40, Laura Albert, who wrote all the books and spoke on the phone as him. And he spoke of this very low Southern drawl. And then she did all the emails as him. And when places like Interview Magazine and Vanity Fair start calling for photo shoots and she has, she can't show up as herself, she has her boyfriend's sister-in-law, Savannah, who was androgynous, dress up as JT. But the, the cool thing about the movie that people, that I'm excited to share, um, because not everyone knows the full story, um, people always saw it as two women who wanted fame and money and pulled off this heist. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's so much more complicated. It's like, it's, you know, it's two women who were these kind of like badass artists and they kind of felt like they weren't being treated as as their male, you know, e equally as their male counterparts, big subject right now in Hollywood. Yes. And kind of had this like, fuck the system punk attitude about about doing what they did. But more importantly, it's they. it wasn't this plot, it, it, which to this day people still, um, possibly even after seeing the film might say like bullshit. Yeah. But I really, you know, I feel from all the research that I did and from making the film, um, it wasn't this plot to like do it to fool people. They both really had this very specific reason doing it was like changing their life. Like Savannah was um, very androgynous very early on, you know, maybe, maybe even trans, not totally sure. Yeah. And so playing this male character gave her this outlet to kind of like Oof. find her, like she was more so her true self when she was JT. So it, it, it became this obsession with playing these characters and, and yeah, like, you know, going, getting flown first class to Japan, coming to LA and staying at the Chateau Marmont, hanging yeah. out with Courtney Love and, and Gus Van Sant and Carrie Fisher. And that's like, yeah, that's a massive plus and it's exciting, mm -hmm. but it really was more so for how it was kind of changing their lives yeah. as like, as people. It's really, really wild. Um, it's fucking insane. Yeah. And if you watch any footage, you, I, have, I think there's two documentaries. I've watched, yeah, they're both I forgot which one I like more. They're both good. Um, but y'all, get this. Kristen Stewart and Laura Dern are playing these characters, right? Yes. Like, could you be more excited? Could I be more excited, like, for anything <laughs> in the world right now? Like, when, do you have any info of, like, when it's coming out? Or Probably not till the end of the year. We're just finishing it right now. It's almost done. Um, so no release date yet. I would imagine end of the year, though. So a little bit of a wait, but hopefully it will be worth it. Uh, Kristen and Laura, uh, I mean, 
two of my favorite actresses. They're Come brilliant. On. I am still like a, a bit in shock that it even happened. Um, and they were so phenomenal to work with. And I, I, I can't wait for people to see them in these roles because it's so, it's so wild. I mean, it's, it's wild. I'm just fucking so obsessed with both of them and like this whole project and you, like, it's just so fucking cool. <laughs> I'm, I like cannot wait. And you've been working on it forever, you know? Yes. This is the first script that, um, I wrote this with Savannah and it's the first thing that I kind of like actually sent out. This would have been 2011. So, you know, before I made anything. Yeah. Um, and it was just hard to get off the ground as a first time director and also a difficult movie to do super cheap. Uh, like I'm Michael King Cobra and Welcome the Stranger were, you know, in the like 800 K to $3 million range. Right. Um, and you know, even that, of course, is hard to get. Yeah. Uh, this one, need, we needed a, a bit more. There's like a lot of travel, a lot of characters. So, um, you know, even though I was so eager to make this a long time ago, of course, the timing, you know, things are meant to be. And yeah. the timing was great because I was able to get, um, you know, this phenomenal cast and the right budget thanks to the fact that I got to make these other films in the meantime. Yeah. Including um, Welcome the Stranger, which is out on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, it just came out though, right? Can I be can I be like RuPaul and like plug my iTunes rental? <laughs> yes, you can. Available now. I love that. You are, you're my first like RuPaul reference too, which makes me happy. Um, okay, so and yes, that is even though you know we're talking about queer things. Uh, yeah. Welcome the Stranger is a um, uh, like first not true story, not gay film. It's like a family drama thriller, and I'm really happy with it. It's very very weird, uh, and stars um, um, Abby Lee, who if. People uh-huh. don't know who they are. Look her up because she's a genius. And Caleb Landry Jones, oh, him. Who's Can we talk about Riley Keough? Who's also yeah. there? It's it's crazy. Yeah, I can't wait. Also, it's like uh, at least I've watched the trailer. It's like thriller mystery. Like I'm ready. Yeah, Time yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and again, since I'm drawn towards things, I need to have something a little bit wild about them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's family drama, a little bit of a thriller, but like you know. There may or may not be like a little incestuous vibe happening. Fierce, look at you go with your badass. See, you know, like that Marilyn Manson shit fucked you up, didn't it? Um, okay, so Justin, I've kept you way too long. I'm, I finish all my podcasts with like a little James Lipton inside the actor studio question thing. Oh my god, am I about to put on the spot? A little bit. You don't have to um, explain any of your answers. They're they're all like you like it. I swear. Um, okay. <laughs> Justin Kelly, what is your favorite word? <laughs> your face. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't think this would be such a hard question. Oh my God, what is my favorite word? I'm trying to think of just something I use all the time. Don't think too much. I'm trying. Now, see, now I, I should have just vomited something out. Um, let's see. Come on, clock's ticking. Why is this so hard? It doesn't have to be the coolest. <laughs> doesn't have to be the funniest. It could just be something to you right now. Um, since it's so in the yike guys, I cannot stop saying yas. Yas. I see. There you go. That's that's a great answer. I'm gonna say yas right now. It's very. It's it's like almost so um, out there that I feel like I, I want to say something cooler and more like obscure but i keep saying yas it's so fun so i'm gonna come like sitting with me for the last hour and i'm just like yas uh uh-huh yas Yas. Um, okay what's your least favorite word Ooh, um um funky funky good to know okay all y'all trying to get jobs at justin kelly know that um okay what inspires you most my friends Mm -hmm. oh i'm getting better at this i'm i was just gonna say um, okay, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? 
my friends. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> um, what turns you off? Um, mean people. Mm-hmm. Mean people suck is like honestly my favorite bumper sticker. Yeah, like, that was such a big thing. It's an important and good one. Every time I see it, I'm, I give like the right on to like the car. car. No, I don't have any stickers on my car. I know. <laughs> I'm like kind of embarrassed for people with bumper stickers. No offense, people. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, ugh, those Hillary ones. I, I get it, but like, <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, if you could have dinner with any artist, living or dead, who would it be? Fassbender. Cool. The director, not the actor. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, what do you want to be remembered for? For making, um, I don't know, good, relevant, unique films. What is your favorite part about being queer? Ooh, um, I don't know. I guess just being, uh, Being different and being able to um, make the kind of art that I make that would not exist if I were not queer. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I guess being an artist. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is a tough one. This is my last question. What is queer? Queer, what is queer? Let's see. Um, queer is just not being heteronormative. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a good answer. Um, Justin, I, uh, I'm going to gush for a second. Uh, it means so much to me to sit here with you. Uh, you know, your contribution to the, the art form and the work you've done and your story that you've shared with me today is really inspiring. And, um, this is really fun. Beyond flattered. So thank you for having me. Of course. to say. No, that's all you gotta say, boo. Thank you. We did it. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye. Justin Mother FM Kelly, y'all. How cool is that? Thank you so much again, Justin, for doing this with me, hanging out with me, just being an all-around cool dude who is killing it. He's, you know, making stuff every single year for like the past whatever years. And at this rate, he's just gonna keep going and going and being the legend that he is. So I feel really privileged and lucky that I got to sit and chat with you. So thanks again. That's it for this episode. Please subscribe, rate, like, comment on iTunes for Queer and Art Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at Frankie Craft. You know, hit a boo up. Do yourself a favor. Go check out Justin's films. Watch them all. They're interesting. They're queer. This episode is brought to you by Sammy Girl Productions. The music by Joey Polari. And that's about it. Take care of yourselves. Later.